Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm not talking. And I'm the Burger Master. Welcome to episode 144, Super Brawl 5. And Brawl they did. The world title is on the line in a Super Brawl for it all. I forgot there was a tagline. Yep. <laughs> I fucked up my name, so I figured I'd say the tagline. Mm, you got it. You did it with gusto. It was supposed to be Meister, not Master. Yeah. Damn it. I was going to be Mike House Burger Mike. Meister. Burger Burger Meister? <laughs> Burger Meister Meister Burger. There you go. Yeah. Well, Anywho. I mean, <laughs> I guess we'll talk about it later, but Randy Savage can even cut a promo when he's not cutting a promo. Yeah. When he's not talking. <laughs> what a he man. can say a whole yeah. lot. It's so, so good. Not talking <laughs> oh savage oh wow so this was the fifth annual super brawl produced by wcw it would take place on february 19th 1995 from the baltimore arena in baltimore maryland with an attendance of 13,390 Ooh, we got hogan numbers we i don't remember numbers. what the last wcw show was but obviously it's been trending upwards I think the last one was, I'm seeing the number 14 in my head, but then at the same time, I'm seeing 11. <laughs> yeah, both good numbers. Uh, <laughs> but like, yeah, normally for the longest time, we'd be watching great WCW shows. So, you know, they were off and on, but it'd be like, oh, well, there was, was like 6,000 people was a good number. Yeah. But uh, you can double it when you bring in the red and yellow. Yeah, you can double the number. You can't double the greatness. You might not even be able to get half the greatness. <laughs> Whew. This is 8200. 8200. Okay. That was that Starcade. That oh was wow. Last, that was the last WCW show we had. Dang. Oh yeah, and that was I guess Baltimore was ready. Butcher in the main event, right? Yep. Ugh. Butcher and Hogan in the main event. Gross. Well, I mean, so maybe Vader's the one selling the tickets. No shit. Now. I mean, Vader and Hogan is a marquee match. Anywhere, I feel like. Whether you'll like Hogan or not. Savage um, is going to have not. a match, so maybe, <laughs> maybe, that, maybe that helps some. Oh, yeah, this is also Savage's first match in WCW. True. Yeah. It, is, <laughs> it is, but... Oh, <laughs> it is. We'll Lord, get there. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we will. But we are in Baltimore. Indeed. So what deliciousness did you bring us this time, Shane? Well, once upon a time, we went to Baltimore and... Matthew and I kind of both separately stumbled upon this little sweet treat that sounded too good to miss and contemplated making it the last time we were in Baltimore, but decided against it. So figured hold on to that idea and save it for the next quote unquote rainy day, which it's technically a rainy day out today. And we're in Baltimore. So we uh, decided to hit up, I'm not for sure the exact way to pronounce this, the... DeBoffrey Bakeries in Baltimore, Maryland. They, if, if I'm saying the name wrong, oops, I'm sorry, but I'm in Oklahoma, so... Yeah, I mean, uh, you know. <laughs> but yeah, they uh, have a specialty cookie known as the Burger Cookie. 
B-E-R-G-E-R, not burger like hamburger. They're exclusively made at this this bakery. They've been called the best dessert in the world at one point. Hang on, let me read this to make sure I'm saying it right. The burger cookies have been crowned as the most delicious dessert in the world. It's a shortbread cookie slathered with chocolate fudge. The appearance alone is enough to make you or make anyone wish to eat one. Uh, and one will surely fulfill your cravings for something sweet. And that definitely does hit the spot for sweetness. Oh, yeah. It's a, uh, as it states, a little shortbread yes. cookie slathered with chocolate fudge. I did an online order and had them shipped. They made it to me within two days, which was fucking awesome. So, um, yeah, paid for shipping. But still, the fact that they made it on time, as promised, I love. And, yeah, super soft, super sweet. Apparently they, I gotta find the more detailed details about them. The name comes from its creators, Henry and George Berger. Who um, came from Germany. Yes. They came up from Germany to open this bakery. Like in late 1800s? Something like that. Baltimore sensation, the burger cookie, shortbread, fudge. It goes wonderfully with my uh, cup of coffee here. I'm sure it would go just as well with a tall glass of milk, uh, hot chocolate even. It's a perfect cookie pretty much for every situation. Like Michael's yeah. drinking it with a beer, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, the I think that it's kind of maybe the best way for to eat fudge because you get the, the shortbread just makes it a better experience because fudge is always just like, a, be like, yeah, it tastes good, but my... My teeth hurt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this still very, very sweet, but it takes a little of the edge off and adds like a, another texture because the shortbread cookie is actually really soft. It's not, it's not crunchy. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's, crunchy, yeah, it's, it's kind of like, like eating like cake. a, like bite of cake, like a little cake in your hand, but mm-hmm. uh, a little pretty, pretty sweet. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. If you uh, would like to try some, go to their website. You can look them up. Again, Burger Cookies, B-E-R-G-E-R. They've got little snack packs available. They've got this one here was an eight-pack of cookies oh, do, for like do they six do, bucks. Do they do different flavors? I'd be interested to know. They, that I, I can see they, like a maple, done, a maple They've done fudge. different flavors over time, but right. I think this is the they same were just special edition yeah. ones. They had, well, they it shows different little gift packs available as far as like cookie tins but i think it's just the different designs that you can pick from i think the oh, cookies okay. inside might be the same but yeah, don't quote me on that because you know. i contemplated getting one of those but they were out of stock at the moment so i just went with the well, yeah. old reliable ones that showed me what they were you gotta start with the classic exactly absolutely speaking of classics something that would happen right around the same time as the show blink 182 would release their debut album Cheshire Cat hmm. a couple days earlier. Carousel. That's the song. That's the song on this album. That like, is the song like, on this album. Yeah, the bass line's uh, cool. And then there's this uh, Benoit Balls is the other song I always think of. Which I think is on that, right? I think so, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, this is not the go-to album for me. No. Because is Buddha before or after this? I know that's another It's after. Song. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know... I didn't know Blink One Eighty Two at this time. Oh, I until until again. once. What's my name again? Uh, I'm guessing so. Damn it, maybe before it was before that. Uh-huh, when they became an MTV sensation. Yeah, that was basically yeah. the. <laughs> the, the no, okay, you were right. Buddha was before. Buddha okay. was a demo before. Okay, so it's, that's a demo. I never really listened to that. My favorite 
State um, of the Anima, I and, think, is what it was. And the only Blink-22 album I listen to with regularity is the one after this. I'm a big Dude Ranch fan. You're a big Dude Ranch. You've always a Dude Ranch guy. Yeah. yeah Anima of the State is the one with... Anima of the State, that's yeah, what it was. That's what's, the one where they become... That's when they hit the mainstream with, you know, What's My Name Again, and... And still, and probably end up being, still to this day, the most popular guitar act since that. All the small <laughs> things. Yeah. Adam Song, those... those. Which I think that album is uh, also good, but I, I go, I, I go am, to I am a the other one. Big Blink One Eighty Two fan. The uh, actually, I used one of their songs as my, uh, uh, as I was leaving my wedding. Oh, <laughs> a weird Which band, a weird band for that. <laughs> exactly, it is a weird song for that. I hope it wasn't like Adam's song. No, it was actually <laughs> the on one their about suicide. Oh. <laughs> It was actually off their 2003 uh, self-titled album. Oh, I never um, listened to that. M- me and my wife, like literally, that's we got together like right when that yeah. album came out, and we literally would listen to that album just Bonded. all the time. Aww. And uh, the very last song on the album is called "I'm Lost Without You." Oh, and that's that was cute. our that was our uh, wedding song. Yeah, I've st- I've never listened to that one. I never. I think I stopped it. Take so off their pants and jacket, or is there another? Yeah. yeah, that was, a, and I think that's also the when I saw them live uh, in Oklahoma City was also on that tour. Yeah, they had they did Enemy of the State, and then they did Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, the and live they, album, uh, the live album, and they did the self titled album. Yeah, and after that's when they kind of broke up, basically, kind yeah. of did their own thing, you know. And now, what's the space? Uh, Matt, Matt Skiba is now in the yeah, band. Skiba's, Skiba's in the band instead of. My take: I'm a bigger Alkaline Trio fan than a Blink One Eighty Two fan. Even though I love one Blink One Eighty Two album a whole lot, I like more Alkaline Trio songs. Uh, Not that they they have a bunch of stinkers in my opinion too, but <laughs> yes, I do, do. But that band has a. But when they do it right, I like it a lot. I don't really know much Alkaline Trio, if any at all, but I just liked Blink One Eighty Two because when they reached the height of their popularity, they were making fun of all the boy bands that were out there. Oh and yeah, it's like okay. I mean that music video was a Thank classic. You. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Tom DeLonge went off and did his Angels and Airwaves thing, and that band is trash completely. And it's like you're. I'm, done. Not, I'm not saying Blink One Eighty Two is like the thing anymore with Skiba in it. But. Who would have thought Travis Barker would have been the one to, you know, be the the big big dog of the group. I mean, he's the most talented one. I mean, what's funny is my favorite album, he's not even on it yet. He's not on the album. He didn't like. join the band until Enema of the State. Yeah. But the question is, will the Kardashians ruin him like they've ruined everybody else? I mean, you're going to get ruined by somebody. You might as well be a Kardashian. I mean, he's already had a Miss America. I mean, literally the last three albums are not... Like, Neighborhoods. Like, Neighborhoods, when I first listened to it, I was like, this literally sounds like the three guys didn't record in the same room. Is that the one that has, like, a bunch of weird, like, like electronic beats and stuff? Yes. Okay. I tried to listen to it, and and I was like, this is not what I come to this band for. I literally came to find out... That they literally rec- they were so pissed off at each other because it was still the original lineup. Yeah. That they didn't record in the same room at all. They just yeah. Like literally, Travis was at his home studio doing all the beats, and then Tom was writing some songs. Mark was writing some songs. And it was just like, hey, we're just gonna throw them all together and like. I'd say at that like, point, like, don't what even. What is this? Don't even like, do it. Like it's, it's not such a horrible album. It's different if like I don't know. 
if it was like a one person's project but there's two guys that write songs in the band like it's not like one guy is like the main dude and there's your band yeah i don't know whatever that's weird that sounds like a terrible way to make a record it was a terrible <laughs> record <laughs> well i'm sure they still made plenty of money off i'm sure they did but they came back with uh, California after Skiba joined the group, and did a more pop punk record. It, it's a, it's closer to what you expect yeah. from a Blink One Eighty Two album, but Mark has to try and sing more, and that's not his strongest suit. I always liked his voice better because Tom DeLonge is boy is he has a better voice. Yeah, but it doesn't match up with. Some of the like faster stuff, faster stuff. Because like I saw them live after Skiba joined the band, and Mark is trying to sing some of the Dom Dom more popular songs yeah. instead of Skiba singing them, and it's just like, yeah, this doesn't sound right. <laughs> yeah, I mean Skiba has a very specific voice, but uh, I like his voice. He's kind of more of a more of a crooner. Yeah, we used to always confuse uh, Blink One Eighty Two and Some Forty One. <laughs> They sound nothing alike, sound but nothing it's alike. just the I mean, names. They, both, they, they just yeah, they both it's dressed like idiots. They word both and wear number, the same fashion. Word and number. Yeah. One married Avril Lavigne, and one did not. One went for that a, is very true. <laughs> <laughs> one went for a kid or Kardashian instead. Well, let's head off to the Baltimore Arena for some Super Brawl. We get Hogan and Vader highlights while they cut promos on each other before the logo comes on the screen. Tony Schiavone then welcomes us to the show, joined by Bobby the Brain Heenan and Mean Gene Okerlund. And you can automatically tell right away that Bobby seems to have had a few too many drinks before the show. Yeah. And it gets worse <laughs> as the show goes. Yeah, there's the points where he's just like, oh, I'm just not going <laughs> to... The joke is that he's not... Not playing along. <laughs> He's still a joke or whatever, but uh, he wasn't playing along. Not, not quite as much. I didn't catch as many uh, Bobby one-liners in this show. No, Because they weren't uh, one-liners because he repeated them three or four times because he <laughs> didn't realize it and he already said them. I felt like me and Bobby were on the same level throughout most of the show. Though. So, <laughs> that, that was the thing. I kind of wish I had been Yeah, you're like uh -huh. the way Bobby was to watch this show. I'm never going to watch Super Bowl V again, but if I do... <laughs> It'll be it'll be with a drink or two. I guess we've kind of given how we feel about the show, but we got a ways to go. I mean, you know, it starts off all right. Yeah. So Mean Gene's worried for the Hulkster, thinking that Vader is going to try to permanently injure him. And he will also have an interview with Ric Flair later in the evening. And though they're saying right now, it's like, they show Vader come out in a limo, and, the, and they're teasing, was Rick in the limo? It was Rick aligned with Vader. Yeah, we see a limo pull up. Yeah. We can sign a see someone in the car with Shivani literally saying, Hey, was that was that Flair? It's like, oh well, I saw a lady, but I didn't see Flair. But where there's yeah, a lady, I, there's probably I saw, a Rick I saw Flair. a lady's leg get out of the car, but that's about it. Uh, Vader then gets out of the limo and and all of a sudden another limo pulls up and he starts Vader starts terrorizing the driver, asking about Hogan before he punches a window out. <laughs> But it was, in fact, Tony Schiavone's limo. And I was like, man, Tony Schiavone's got a limo? riding up in a limo. Good for him. <laughs> Vader then makes his way into the arena, where he goes to the announce booth 
and pesters Eric Bischoff, who's calling main event, which is the pre-show before the pay-per-view. Vader then heads to the ring where he attacks everybody that's hap- that's in the match that's happening with multiple power bombs, including one on the Patriot. Oh, man. I was trying to figure out, too, if those were like the full-blooded Italians that were in the ring with them or not. Because <laughs> it looked like their gear, but it's just it a is few not, years too It is soon. not who the full-blooded <laughs> Italians are. No. But after that video package, we head straight to our first match. Pretty Paul Roma versus Das Wunderkind Alex Wright. And the story behind this match was that Roma had become jealous of all the attention that Wright had been receiving from the ladies. Oh, he's uh, he's scooping up all the rats. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse my joke. <laughs> it was in poor taste. But Pretty Paul attacks while Alex is still dancing, taking it to him with right hands, elbow drops, and a gorilla press slam before doing some dancing himself. He's just a kid, Paul. (laughs) Wright hits a sunset flip for a two count, multiple arm drags, before starting to work an arm bar. But the two men trade wrist locks out of it with athletic escapes, including Alex springboarding off the ropes into an arm drag. Did you see the sign somebody had that says, I love wonder cunt? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, damn, I'm surprised that one made it to air, especially (laughs) at this point in time, like it blur it out or something. But I mean, you know, it's part of history. Right back to the arm bar to control the match. When Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff makes his way down to the rink to encourage his tag partner, Roma fires up with several jumping elbow drops, multiple backbreakers, and then poses for the crowd. Pretty Paul then tosses Alex to the floor right in front of Orndorff. But he doesn't get involved, allowing Wright to climb to the apron, only be only to be knocked back down by Roma. Alex is back to the apron and he starts firing up with right hands. Goes for a sunset flip, but Pretty Paul just punches him in the ribs mid-air to stop the momentum. That was a great spot. It actually looked good. Cause like that could have been sloppy, but for for what it was, it was pretty good. You got Paul in there, so it was nice and pretty. Mm-hmm. Roma tries for a hip toss, only to be blocked and reversed with Wright trying for a backslide, which he finally gets over for a two count, followed by an inside cradle for a near fall. Pretty Paul starts stomping and choking away before applying a chin lock, using the ropes as leverage, only for Alex to elbow out, but he whiffs on a drop kick, allowing Roma to head up top for a flying elbow drop. It's a big one. He got a bunch of air. Also, big ups to Paul for some of the best-looking stomps I've noticed in quite a while. They were, like, they were tight. Alex sold them or whatever, but, you know, they didn't look like like Austin stomps. They looked like he was actually trying to hit, kick the guy. You know, like what you're supposed to do. Pretty Paul continues the attack, sending right to the corner, charging in after the Alex moves and starts firing up with European uppercuts. Spinning heel kick by Wright for a two count, but a reversed Irish whip sends Alex to the corner, only for him to leap up to the top rope, flying off with a crossbody for the pin, and no, Mr. Wonderful pulls Wright off the cover. Wright starts yelling at Orndorff, which allows Roma to attack from behind. Mr. Wonderful then jumps on the apron, with Pretty Paul coming over and telling him, don't worry, 
I got this. Alex gets up and drop kicks Roma from behind, sending him into Orndorf to knock him off to the floor, followed by rolling him up for the pin and the win, even though Pretty Paul kicked out at three. He sure did. Yeah. I was like, Paul was like, I don't know this kid. I don't know this kid. But uh, I loved that there was a clear, um, there was some good heel and baby face energy. Agreed. Yeah, these guys worked well together. And uh, in hindsight, I like this match even more than I thought I did at the time. Well, I'm going to give you a new perspective on this match. Uh-oh. This is the last time we see Paul Roma <laughs> as he is fired soon after for his actions during this match. Yeah. He those those were shoot kicks? Those were shoot kicks. No wonder they look so good. Okay. Later in life I was like, damn, those are some good looking kicks. <laughs> later well, in life shows what Ro- I know. Roma did an interview basically saying that WCW wanted to push Alex Wright. Like he was gonna be their next star. Yeah, he's handsome, he's athletic, he's a good baby face. But he, but he considered Wright unworthy of that push. And he went to business on his own. Damn, Paul's old school. Roma went rogue, huh? Mm-hmm. Can't go rogue on, on Turner's buck. Sorry, buddy. Damn. That's kind of a shame, but, I mean, this is what we're here for. I was like, damn, those boots look good. And Matt, thanks so, for keeping on holding it, holding it back. So I can guarantee you, if you go watch that match again with those with no, that knowledge, yeah, it changes the complex of this match completely. I mean, I, mean, I actually want to go back and watch it now, and I, I think that it was a good match. Good for Alex. I mean, honestly, big ups to Alex for keeping his cool. I thought the kickout was weird, but I was like, well, he still like took the pin, but he was, it was just, just fuck you energy. That's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> we go to the back Mean Jeans there with Harlem Heat and Sister Sherry. And Sherry says some stuff, then Oakland looks at Stevie Ray and calls him Booker T. So I guess Gene still hasn't figured out who is who. Oh, Cole. Or Kane, or whichever one you were. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad we're past that. Cole and Kane, I could never get straight, because I was like, that's Stevie Ray, and that's Booker T. Yep. I know what these guys look like, and I know their names, but those aren't their names. Harlem Heat then both basically say that the Nasty Boys, if they want some, tonight they're going to get some. They said something about they got the smoke or they want the smoke. I, that, I was laughing when I heard oh, they that said, part. It was like smoke or get smoked. Is yeah. What they said. It's like, here we are all these years later and we're still talking about smoke yep. on the they, TV. The, the heat. They got the heat. <laughs> smoke or get smoked. So we're headed to our second match. Bunkhouse Buck with Colonel Robert Parker and Ming versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey. Uh, Sick I am on Bunkhouse Buck. I'm so I'm I'm bunked out. <laughs> but hey, if you call the hotline right now, Macho Man's there with Mike Denae. I mean, I'd much rather be talking to Macho Man, even if it I is. I hope he's talking there. <laughs> <laughs> you just keep asking him questions, and he just says, "I'm not talking." <laughs> yeah, like as soon as I wrote down the the two names for this match, I just immediately wrote like, "What? What?" <laughs> like. Mm-hmm. Why would you do this to 13,000 people? Mm-hmm. Almost 14. So Buck goes after Hacksaw, but Duggan fights him off and goes and gets the crowd to chant, USA, USA. I don't have it either. Yeah, because USA is going to totally take down the guy from Buck Snort, <laughs> Kentucky, or whatever the hell he's from. Yeah. Yeah. I would argue that Bunkhouse Buck is 
maybe uh, more a, a stronger representation of America than Jim Duggan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just a working man. Doesn't need those star-spangled knee pads. No. So the match gets going with multiple turnbuckle smashes, followed by a hip toss by Hacksaw, before clotheslining Bunkhouse Buck over the ropes to the floor. 360. Buck drags Duggan to the floor for them to brawl, with Hacksaw ripping Bunkhouse Buck's shirt, only for Buck to run Duggan into the ring post. Posted. They head back into the ring where Hacksaw is sent to the ropes, only to drop a knee across Bunkhouse Buck's back before applying a chin lock to wear Buck down. Hacksaw starts working the arm before hitting a stalling atomic drop and a heavy right hand to knock Bunkhouse Buck down for a two count before going back to the chin lock. More turnbuckle smashes by Duggan, but then plays to the crowd, which allows Buck to grab some rope to start choking Hacksaw. Buck then throws Duggan to the floor where the punishment is continued all around ringside, even in the lap of the ring girls. No. That one girl didn't like that too much. She did not. I mean, Jim Duggan's big dumb face. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely don't want that in my lap. Oh, I tripped. Oh, I tripped again. (laughs) I keep falling. Sorry, my eye's looking over that way. I'm just trying to grab hold of something to get up. They're so bored by this match, they're distracted by the ladies. Back in the ring, Buck starts wearing down Hacksaw with a chin lock. Yay, chin lock again. Buckhouse with maybe the most shit-ass looking chin lock I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, just wait. Wait, maybe we've already come to it. Yeah, there's one that's like, yeah, fucking, yeah. Oh, wait, I think it's coming up here. But it's, Duggan it's escapes by picking up and setting Bunkhouse Buck on the top rope, which brings the two to just start trading strikes with each other. Back body drop by Hacksaw for a two count, goes back to a chin lock, but then the two tumble around the ring momentarily until Buck delivers a couple of knees to the gut and a back rake. Duggan comes back with a big right hand and an elbow drop before going back to the chin lock. I think that's the one. And choking Bunkhouse Buck with his suspenders. Yeah, that's one where he's just like, got his hand um, on his head and his hand on his chin, yeah, but I guess they Yeah, they both had some terrible reverse <laughs> chin lock. But Bunkhouse Bucks, I just remember being like, you hugging him? Yeah. It looks like you were taking a photo with your little brother. <laughs> Just giving him a noogie. More right hand send Buck to the apron before a spinning power slam and a knee drop get a near fall for Hacksaw. More chin lock work by Duggan and deliver some headbutts, which daze Bunkhouse Buck. So Hacksaw just like blows him down before winking at the crowd and making a cover. Only for Buck to be in the ropes. As Duggan is waiting for Buck to make it to his feet, Parker gets a little too close, so Hacksaw grabs at him, bringing him up to the apron momentarily. Duggan goes back to work on Buck with mounted punches in the corner, then starts working the arm and starts ripping at the shirt again before hitting a body slam. Bunkhouse Buck rakes the eyes and sends Hacksaw to the ropes, only for Parker to have jumped on the apron, so it knocks him down. Buck is irate, and he turns his back to Duggan, allowing Hacksaw to hit the three-point stance for the pin and the win. The blowing him down spot could have been funny if, like, Dusty Rhodes did it. If Hacksaw did it in 1987, it'd probably been funny, too. If I already hadn't spent seven minutes of this match in a chin lock, maybe that would have been funny. You're going to do a chin lock. At least, do, at least make sure there's some catch wrestling in there. Post-match, 
Ming jumps in the ring and hits a thrust kick before applying the nerve hold until officials and Colonel Parker can get him off of Duggan. Yay, chin locks and trap holds. (laughs) Chin locks and trap holds. Be a good name for a podcast. (laughs) God. Starting next week, guys. Join us on our inaugural episode of Chin Locks. We go to the back. Mean Gene is there with the Nasty Boys. And they say nasty a bunch while trying to get across that they're going to win. Nasty this, nasty that, nasty sized, Mm. nasty bill. Yeah. Like I said, they say nasty a lot. It can only get better, right? Right? Right. Right? So we go to our third match. Kevin Sullivan Uh, with The Butcher uh, versus Dave Sullivan. Fuck the world. Evad himself? Evad himself. (laughs) Evad the... uh, uh, I was going to try to make a... uh, What's his name? The Carpathian from Ghostbusters 2. Uh, Evad the the bad wrestler. I could only think of Gozarian or whatever at first. Anyway, uh, Dave is here, and the crazy thing, he does, he's not a Hulkamaniac anymore. No, he's... We already got rid of that. He's green, he's got a haircut, he actually looks the like butcher, he's... The butcher gave him a haircut. Oh, well nicely done there, Brother Brudai. That's why there's, That's why Dave and Kevin are <laughs> still feuding. Because he, he's got a better haircut now? Oh. Poor, poor Butcher. Could cut his hair at one point. Yeah, Goes from the main event on the last pay-per-view to... Seconding Kevin Sullivan Ballet. in the third match. Mm. So Kevin looks to attack Dave as he enters the ring, but Dave stops that and body slams Kevin several times. A back elbow sends Kevin to the floor where the butcher is encouraging him, only for Dave to sneak around to attack them from behind. Back in the ring, Dave with some turnbuckle smashes, mounted punches, and a back body drop for a two count. Dave starts running the ropes only for the butcher to trip him up from the outside, allowing Kevin to take control, sending Dave to the floor and running his back into the apron before the butcher gets involved with some choking. Uh, Bobby Heenan reminds us of butcher's accident years ago. He's got a metal face. He's got metal on his face. Bolts and screws and plates. Beware of parasailing, (laughs) y'all. Kevin's not allowing Dave to get back at the ring with chops and a baseball slide kick. But Dave finally starts choking Kevin to make his way back in, only to then run into a big boot in the corner. Mongolian chops by Kevin, but Dave fires back by biting Kevin's stomach. (laughs) Only for Kevin to go back to choking him with his boot. Mm -hmm. Brothers, y'all. The two are trading blows until Dave is pulled through the ropes where the butcher slams his head into the steel steps. Kevin tries to bring Dave in the hard way, only to be blocked and punched away, allowing Dave to re-enter the ring to pick up Kevin with a double chokehold. Back to trading blows when Kevin hits a body guillotine. He tries for a second, but Dave moves out of the way, causing Kevin to crotch himself. Dave with the turnbuckle smashes. Butcher jumps on the apron, so Dave gets distracted allowing Kevin to grab him from behind and run him headfirst into the butcher's steel-plated face. Oh my gosh. Before rolling him up for the pin and, and the win. win. He was butchered. Uh, I was ready for you to make a joke about the little Sullivans. 
<laughs> at the nut shot. Uh, I have to care about a match a little bit. At this point, at this point, yeah. um, I wrote down that this show is colder than a snowman's turd. <laughs> like I was just like, where, like, where's the juice? Yeah, this, <laughs> there's this, no juice. This match makes me miss the equalizer. Rough. Remember him? It's the same guy. I know. Yeah. Where's uh? <laughs> yeah. Where's like at least? I mean, fuck. Somebody call D- Dangerous Danny Spivey. <laughs> oh man, he's calling for Dangerous Danny Spivey, guys. I know. We're in trouble. This is serious. Bring me some Shockmaster. Supposed match: The Butcher is hurt on the outside. Oh, the poor guy. And Kevin's not really showing any sympathy. No, he like grabs at his arm like lightly and like kind of is, like. It kind of helps him. kind of helps him to the back, but at some point, just kind of is like drops him yeah, off halfway. I'm, I'm done with this and just walks off. I like the idea that he like plans to use the butcher's face instead of the steel or like a post or a chair but, or like some other kind of cheating. That like his heel way to win the match was to send somebody into a guy's face that had metal in it, which makes no sense at all and is very funny. But like that's kind of the idea because otherwise, what are we doing here? But that is. A wild thing to think. Well, are you ready for the explanation? <laughs> I sure am. Did I nail it? Here's the stupid story. Okay. The butcher dun, dun, wanted to do this angle dun, dun. so he could turn back face. So that he could hang out with Hogan again. Oh my god. Because this is back in the day when faces and heels couldn't hang out with each other. Yeah. Because of kayfabe. Uh-huh. But uh, that is... This is... I guess it explains its stupidity, but... You could have done anything, anything at all to turn him face, but him turning face by getting hit in the face is, is This sick. is just like page three of, of the stupid novel that's about to continue. Also, like, Brutus, probably not the world's smartest guy, but he has been around the wrestling business for a long time. Mm-hmm. He's got to have, like, some concept of how wrestling, like, Works or should work no. or stories are told. Maybe that part of his his yeah. brain was damaged during his accident, and it's like yeah, you have was replaced, you know, or buried under steel. Yeah, three matches. The last one ends in a cage. Uh, you get a the, the heel gets a DQ. Blah blah blah. Like you know, classic booking stuff. And here we've got you know, I don't know, maybe like uh, send the guy into my face. Does I, I swear and then don't help me. Back. Does he not go back? Does he not go back to what? The, the, the three faces of fear, or whatever, Kevin Sullivan's next little dungeon of doom. He does at one point, yes. Yeah, that's the thing. But with, a different, like... with, with a different name. Oh, yeah. He, he, but it's, it's still st- very still, much it's him. It's two names away. <laughs> but right, yeah, he, two just, names away. he just got his Hogan payoff, and he's like, well, I want to party with my buddy. I want to hang on my buddy. Yeah, me and Jimmy and Hogan, we want to play poker. We want to play go fish. I want to say brother with my brother, brother. <laughs> So Tony introduces us to the Spanish commentary team, and former WWF champion Pedro Morales is part of that team. Well, hey there, Pedro. Just thought I'd point that out. I was going to say, we last saw Pedro Morales. It's like, I don't know that we have. We, we've never yeah. seen Pedro Morales. Yeah, he was, he was so. a WWWF guy. Yeah, I think Probably so. Probably yeah. maybe a, a belt holder in between Bruno and Backlund like, and yeah. stuff. I don't know if he was a heel or a face. I'm not sure. I don't know if about Pedro Morales... I'll do a dive. There you go. Shivani then sends us to Mean Gene in the back with Big Bubba Rogers and Avalanche. No and Guardian Angel. No Guardian Angel. Oh, man. I was wondering how long they were going to stick that out. 
And Okerlund starts going on way too long about the butcher and his interview with Flair while literally those two guys are just standing there. And really awkward. But when he finally does get to him, Avalanche says, You don't need to be concerned about the butcher's face. You need to concern yourself with Macho Man and Stink. They poke themselves into my business. Bubba Rogers then says, We're both very big men, and we're going to finish them like the puppy dogs they are. I think he mm-hmm. says thousands of millions, and then Mean Gene makes fun yes. of us. <laughs> thousands of millions. And then both of them walk off, but they forget that they're in a room, that there's a mirror. Oh. So you can literally see Bubba Rogers in the background. With like, his Gatorade in hand. Like, breaking kayfabe. <laughs> I completely. did not catch that. That's so funny. Yeah. Can't see his face, but you can see his body there and, you know, like, lower torso. Yeah, he's got, like, a, a glass Gatorade bottle. Yeah. <laughs> Old school. That's awesome. I think it's green. So we go to our fourth match. The Nasty Boys of Jerry Sags and Brian Nobbs versus Harlem Heat of Stevie Ray and Booker T with Sister Sherry for the WCW World Tag Team Championships. But before we start, Sting's on the hotline. Oh my god! Call it up now. Mm. Uh, I mean, somebody's got to talk to him because his partner won't. <laughs> <laughs> Harlem Heat are our champions, correct? Correct. Yes. And uh, you know they get a, a champions entrance uh, where they even they made sure that they got a little bit of flames. I thought that was nice. Yeah, the pyro was uh, a little weak. It was a little weak, but at least they had made sure they had one thing that shot fire straight up for yeah. Harlem Heat. So Booker, they're or they're in the ring, and Booker starts yelling at some crowd members, calling them dumb idiots, while the brain calls Sherry gorgeous. And Sherry I think was this looking was really good. This was the point when I was like, "Oh, he's definitely on the sauce." <laughs> oh yeah. So the two teams are now they're getting nose to nose before Knobs and Booker T start us off. When Brian slaps Booker, firing up to hit a knee to the gut and try for a jumping leg lariat, only for Knobs to duck, sending Booker T across the top rope. The Nasties then shake the rope to bounce Booker on them before he falls off to the floor. Where Sags hits a clothesline. I know they really, they really racked him. <laughs> I haven't seen that spot in a while. I don't know if we've seen it even to this point uh, on this show. But that's uh, a very like attitude era, like nut shot over to the extreme. They hung him out to dry. Back into the ring, the nasties with a double shoulder block. Jerry with a headbutt down low, followed by an elbow there as well. I know. I like that they were uh, working. The dick. <laughs> it's like, all right. I mean, I don't know. Is that what's your what's your finisher? The hand on my ball. I don't know. Yeah. Sags with an inverted atomic drop for a two count, but then Booker T gets a thumb to the eyes to break the momentum. Stevie Ray comes in with clubber in on Jerry until he misses a charge into the corner, followed by the nasties just laying it in with rights and lefts. Knob starts working the leg of Stevie, and Sags comes in to continue the punishment. But then Stevie Ray uses an eye rake as well to escape for Booker to come back in, only to be immediately hip-tossed and thrown to the floor. Jerry comes off the apron with an elbow before rolling him back in. Brian with a turnbuckle smash, but then he runs into a big boot, only to duck a clothesline and hit a body slam. Sags is sent to the ropes, where Stevie Ray hits a forearm from the apron, followed by a drop kick by Booker to be sent to the floor where Sherry sends him headfirst into a guardrail. 
Back in the ring, Stevie takes over, but he misses a leg drop, allowing the Nasties to take control with Jerry hitting a clothesline, only for Stevie Ray to hitting a spinning mule kick to send Sags out to the floor. Booker T walks over, hits a thrust kick, followed by a sherry slap across the face, before rolling him back in. Jerry then avoids an elbow drop from Booker, and he rolls back out to the floor, while Booker T spin a Rooney's up to his feet, while Stevie leaps off the apron with a clothesline. Is this our first spin a Rooney? That's what I was thinking. He's done it one time before. One time before, but it hasn't been a staple yet. It's not a staple. It's just him doing some flair, basically. It gets a little bit of a pop, though, because, I mean, it's cool. There's a reason he continues to do it, um, probably from here on out. Sags is rolled back in and placed in a chin lock by Harlem Heat to wear him down. Leaping scissors kick by Booker T, power slam by Stevie Ray, but Jerry ducks a clothesline and hits a desperation power slam before crawling to the corner for the hot tag. Knobs comes in running through Harlem Heat with a clothesline, body slams, but a knee to the back from, from Booker T slows the momentum. The Heat send Brian to the ropes, only to telegraph the back body drop, so Knobs hits a double DDT. Brian hits a splash on Stevie, but Booker breaks up the tag. Brian with a splash on Stevie, but Booker breaks up the pin. All four men are in the ring until Sags tosses Booker T over the ropes to the floor, following after him to brawl on the outside. Stevie Ray has knobs hooked from behind while Sherry climbs to the top rope, coming off with her shoe in hand, only for Brian to move in time causing Stevie to be clobbered by the shoe. Knobs then rolls up Stevie Ray for the pin. And the win. And new! I mean, for a title match, that hot tag, a hot, like a tag, tag title match, that the hot tag wasn't hot enough. Come on, guys. Professionals. But... Record scratch. Randy Anderson... Runs down to the ring and explains to Nick Patrick that Jerry had thrown Booker T over the ropes. So Patrick changes the decision to a DQ win by the Harlem Heat. Hey. Uh, I guess this whole thing wasn't hot enough. Fair is fair. <laughs> Top rope win. Top rope why? I don't know. When they want. When they want to do it. Or you said when. When? 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 Do you say when? 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 Right before, when they were all brawling. No, but like, no, I know when it happened, but like, with a rule. When? And why? Always. Always? Always? It's always been a rule. Is it always the rule, though? Yeah, like when they want to call it. Yeah, yeah. It's always a rule, whether uh, they enforce the it or is, not. The thing is, is like, I hate, I hate that, like, there's one ref. Unless the match specifically states that there's two refs, there's one ref, and what the ref sees or doesn't see is his call. Like, we're not, this isn't, like, we're not checking tape. This is wrestling. That's part so maybe, of, that's part. Maybe we should have instant replay. <laughs> that's part of how, like, you book wrestling and get around things and set stuff up. Well, that's how they book this. They yeah, had but, a second ref come down and tell them what happened. But if they, 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 if they were going to do that, they should have said, we have a second ref because it's a blah, blah, blah. There's match. always a second ref. Whatever, man. Well, but did this not annoy you? Or are you just being devil's advocate? This entire show bothers me. <laughs> okay, okay, I guess so. I mean, I guess if I'm if I'm gonna if I'm gonna complain about something, should it really be this? I mean, we had a Kevin <laughs> Sullivan versus Dave <laughs> Sullivan match. Yeah, this is better. Yeah, you, this is way better for sure. 
Yep. This is maybe the second best match on the show. We go to the back Mean Jeans there, and we get Okerlund's feelings about the show, and he thinks it's the greatest pay-per-view he's ever seen. It's one of his top five. So maybe Mean Gene's drinking as well. I mean, we know that Mean Gene has been quite the shill over here in WCW. Not the Mean Gene that we know and love. He's still Mean Gene. We still know him. We still love him. So I'm going to guess that, yeah, this... Oh, poor but Fifi. He just yeah. Fifi's being tossed away, and this is his fucking favorite show after <laughs> all the fun they had on Halloween Havoc uh, all those years ago. I think uh, it was Halloween Havoc where, yeah. Yeah. I miss, you know who I miss? Fifi. 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 I'm yeah. Fifi Stan. Yeah. Sorry, Mrs. Flair. Mean Gene then brings in his guests, Sting and Macho Man Randy Savage. I'm not talking. Savage is too pissed off to talk, but he does stomp around the room, throwing chairs. And while he's doing this, Sting says that Macho Man is afraid of what he might say on live TV. But we have a plan for tonight. We're going to drop you on your head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, but that's... Savage... Yeah. No, I'm not talking. talking. Yeah. We then get an ad for Uncensored, coming next month. But we'll cover it in a couple of weeks. Tony then sends us to a video package. Yay. And we see Black Top Bully being taken from the arena by security after pushing Dustin Rhodes. Okay, so Dustin Rhodes goes from having 17 matches with Bunk House Buck. Mm -hmm. A guy who, I don't even know what he is. He's just a hillbilly. Mm -hmm. But he's like a trashy hillbilly. Dustin's a clean cut cowboy. And he's a natural. Uh, to Black Top Bully, who is uh, just a trucker. Yeah. Uh, just a hillbilly trucker. Yeah. Yep. Uh, can we get Dustin a real opponent? Maybe one day. Maybe soon. I mean, we had so many great opponents for him recently. I mean, surely just there's like, going to oh, be a I pot had, of gold at the end of the rainbow or something for him. A handful of months ago, he had so, much, so many peop- great people to work with. And even while those people were there... Your your regals and your it, it'll awesome be here sooner than you can think. Oh my god! Mm-hmm. I was just like, but, but I already had to see a bunkhouse buck match tonight, and now I need Dustin Rhodes to get into another like, what if a poor guy wrestled? He's, he's feuding with the stud stable, Colonel Parker's stable. I know that's that's I the storyline. But I mean, no, who's Blacktop Bully, Matt? It's Repo Man. I know. It's Barry, I know. Barry Darso. I know. I just you know we talked about him before. I know. At least we know. At least he. He's a better wrestler. So after Bully gets taken out by security, he's get he gets thrown in jail, and Colonel Parker bails him out. $75,000 for pushing Dustin Rhodes, huh? Yep. And Parker wants his money's worth in Rhodes' hide. So they match up during a tag match before we see Bunkhouse... Before we see Blacktop Bully... My point exactly. ...cut a promo from his big rig. I have BB and I was like, wait, that's what I use for bunkhouse book yeah, too. Yeah. There's too many BBs, BBs in this. BTB. Because there's Big Bubba too. Oh, that's yeah. right. Good lord. So our fifth match, Blacktop Bully with Colonel Robert Parker and Ming versus The Natural, Natural. Dustin Rhodes. Now as Bully and his crew are coming down the ring, Commish Nick Bockwinkle stops Bully and tells him, after what Ming did earlier, he's got to go to the back. He's barred from ringside. See, so. I like that because he didn't just come out and be like, well, no, Ming. It's like, well, Ming, Ming already showed 
showed uh, you know some some devious decisions earlier in the show, so you know it checks out. But then at the same time, Ming waited until that match was over before he even got involved, kicked and put on a nerve hold. So what's that's, he all pissed off about? That's true, but this is um, 1995. Whenever somebody runs out, we don't play their music, and they also get try people at least try to pull apart. Uh, the action as opposed to just let it play out <laughs> so you know I appreciate it yeah. so Bully and Rhodes start brawling as soon as the bell rings until Dustin hits a leaping lariat and mounted punches but Bully charges out of the corner with a clip to the knee I know Dustin couldn't even get his shiny jacket off Blacktop Bully starts using Rhodes's jacket to choke him but then he charges into a corner only for the natural to move sending Bully shoulder first into the post posted Dustin starts tossing Blacktop Bully around the ring before kicking him out to the floor, where he stays to regroup. The crowd starts chanting, KFC, KFC, as Rhodes starts to work the arm of Bully for a long time. His until, chicken wing. Until Blacktop Bully sends the natural to the corner, only for him to leap up and off with a back elbow. Bully sends Dustin to the corner again, who leaps up, which sends Blacktop Bully dropping to the mat to avoid the back elbow again. But Rhodes just drops down and delivers a right hand and a vertical suplex. <gasps> First suplex of the night. Oh. Um, wow. Yeah, the... when you sent that text <laughs> and it said... 139 or something like that. I was thinking a minute 39 into the show, no, we no. get our first one. It's like, all right, cool, yeah, whatever. No, yeah. And then no. I start watching this, and that <laughs> text spent... runs back through my head. And You're like, like, an hour? Wait a minute, it's, nothing's happened yet. And then, yeah, I actually pushed the button on my remote just to see what the time was. And it was, you know, 138, and it was like, holy shit, he was serious. Like, almost over an hour and a half through this fucking show, and we have our first suplex. Our first Regular vertical suplex. We're not talking like release German, bridging German. No, it's <laughs> belly the to belly. Only sup- I went through my notes, and it is the only <laughs> suplex that we have seen so far. Mm-hmm. When you said that, uh, I'm not the. I am not always the person that catches everything. I don't always have the best eye, but because uh, I love a suplex, I, that, so I always mention them. Yeah, I mean, I love a suplex too. It's an. It's an, one of the most important moves in wrestling. <laughs> and my God. So play. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, uh, at least Dustin really <sighs> nailed that uh, that back bow right on the money. That looked good. Back bow on black top? Black, back bow, black top. Uh, bunk house. Uh, <laughs> uh, Bubba. Repo smasher. Yeah. All these bees. Sunset flip by the natural, only for Bully to stay up and drag Dustin closer to the ropes so that it can grab them. But the ref kicks him off, allowing Rhodes to pull him over. For a two count. The Naturals then punch through the ropes where Connor Parker gets involved. But Dustin blocks and looks to go after the Colonel. Only to turn in time to greet Blacktop Bully coming off the apron with a shot to the gut. Right in the chili dog is, uh, I believe, that, you know, Bobby said. It's like, well, maybe, I don't know. Let's let's see more like the gut, not the chili dog. Rhodes slams Bully's head into the steel steps before they roll back in, where Dustin tries for a monkey flip, only for Blacktop Bully to shrug it off and level the natural with a clothesline for a near fall. I mean, Dustin's tall, but monkey flip, repo man, he's, he, it's funny because he looks so much bigger when you, you know, 
shave his head and put take him in his, take his little eye mask off yeah exactly he i was just, thinking that too i mean it's been a year plus since we've seen him so but yeah he looks like a big uh, he looks like a wrestler he had that barry windham barry darso syndrome of leaving and coming back with like extra 75 or so. yeah i can see that so bully tosses dust into the floor where colonel parker gets some stomps in but once back in the ring bully continues the punishment with shots to the gut and double axe handles before hitting a back suplex for a two count. A chin lock is applied until Rhodes elbows out, ducking a clothesline and coming off the ropes with a crossbody, only for Bully to duck, sending the natural flying out the ring. Blacktop Bully then runs Dustin's back into the apron before getting back in the ring, but this allows Rhodes to trip him up and crotch him on the post. Back into the ring, the natural misses an elbow drop, allowing Bully to regain control, hitting a vertical suplex. Going for a second rope one. Goes to the second rope for a double axe handle, only for Dustin to catch him with a clothesline on his way down. Rhodes with a back body drop, atomic drop, and a bulldog for the pin. And, and no! Rhodes. Colonel Parker puts Bully's foot on the rope. <sighs> the natural drags Parker to the apron and brings him in with a vertical suplex. But this allows Blacktop Bully to attack from behind, only for Dustin to duck, which sends Bully out to the apron. Rhodes tries to suplex him back into the ring, only for Colonel Parker to grab his leg, holding him down, allowing Bully to fall on top for the pin and the win. How many times did you guys rewind this? Because Blacktop Bully straight up landed on his head. (laughs) It was rough. I was like, oh my god, oh my god. And then uh, it seemed like he recovered pretty well. Oh, yeah. Uh, but he's got that big old thick skull. But, yeah, that was a, a scary spot because it's like r- camera's right there. And he lands, like, r- right, on the, right on the top of the head. Yep. We go to Tony and Bobby, and they recap the evening before sending it to Mean Gene, where Oakland brings in Vader, who starts throwing stuff around. And he says, what time is it? Hogan, you could run no more. You can hide no further because the demon is upon you. The demon is fear and you're looking at the demon, brother. Mean Gene then asked who was in the limo earlier, even though Tony had already told everyone that it was his limo. So I don't know why we're asking Vader this. (laughs) Shivani and Heenan then discussed the main event but then send it again to Okerlund, who's now on the stage. And he brings out nature boy Ric Flair and asks him if he was in Vader's limo. But of course, Nate avoids the question completely, saying he's here to do some styling and profiling. Came to party. And he's going to go sit in the front row with some of the best-looking women in Baltimore. And Mean Gene asks him where he found them. You know, Mean Gene's a horn dog. The Nature Boy then goes and takes a seat, but there are no women around him. None. There's supposed to be five hotties. Where are the hotties? There, and, and I'll let you know right now, there are never any hotties around him at uh, any point. I know. It's because he's like, he's like, I remember the, the days partying with Dusty in the Baltimore Marriott. We're going to, you know, talking about tearing down the house later tonight. We're going to Jimmy's Seafood later, guys. 
So we go to our sixth match. Avalanche and Big Bubba Rogers versus Sting and Macho Man Randy Savage. And we see the great Muda in the crowd, along with Sonny Ono. I know, nice it's like press. Why, why can't we get him on this show? Anything will help. Right. So Avalanche opens up by using his power to shove off Sting before flexing at him, showing all that muscle tone that he has. Yep. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, you're right. I was just letting it hang so everybody knew it was a joke. The Stinger fires back with several clotheslines and a dropkick until Bubba grabs him from the apron to slow the momentum. Rogers comes in with a shot to the gut, backbreaker, before heading up top, only for Savage to yank him down to crotch himself, setting Sting up to hit a superplex. Ping pong punch between the Stinger and Macho Man until Bubba gets stuck in the ropes. So Sting continues the punishment to knock him out to the floor, followed by Savage coming off the top with a double axe handle. I mean, you know, double axe handle, it's been a while. We've seen a macho double axe. Back in the ring, Macho with a hip toss on Rogers, and then he turns to Flair to welcome him into the ring, allowing Bubba to attack from behind. Savage comes off the ropes with a sunset flip, but Rogers stays up and butt splashes down only for Macho to move to avoid, following up with a jumping knee to the back into a roll-up for a two-count. Savage then throws Bubba to his corner and slaps Avalanche, which brings him in. Oh, and the crowd popped and I popped. And they get into a shoving match until Macho just slaps him again. Savage tries for a body slam, but Avalanche just falls on top of him for a two-count. The big man charges into a corner with a crossbody, but Macho moves, sending Avalanche draped across the top rope, allowing Savage to give him a good gut kicking. It's funny, yeah, it's like, what do you call that when it's near across the corner of the buck on the top ropes? It's like not a, it's, you know, one of the tree of woes when you're like upside down or whatever, but I never know what to say. It's like, oh, I guess he's across the ropes. Sting comes in and he clips the knee of Avalanche to go for the scorpion deathlock which brings Bubba and Macho in to brawl, allowing Avalanche to get back to his feet. Rogers and Avalanche are dazed in the corners, so it's Stinger's splash time, hitting multiple ones until Avalanche fires out with a clothesline to take Sting down. The Nature Boy is taunting Macho, so Savage goes to get into his face, while Avalanche is just stepping on the Stinger inside the ring. Avalanche with a big elbow drop and charges into a corner, only for Sting to move and body slam the big man, but he stumbles into the wrong corner. So Bubba smacks him with a right hand that sends the Stinger head first into some snowballs. It's an avalanche, I get it. Sting, be- <laughs> Sting begins the slow crawl to his corner for the hot tag. Macho comes in off the top rope with a double axe handle to Avalanche, clothesline to Rogers, Right hands to both men until we get a pier six inside the ring. Savage hits a body slam on Bubba, followed by a macho man elbow drop. But for some reason, the ref makes Savage get out of the ring like he wasn't directly looking at the tag that just happened. The Stinger then climbs to the top rope and clotheslines Avalanche over the fallen Rogers for the pin and the win. Post-match, Macho goes to get in Flair's face again, but security gets in between them. I mean, you know, 
Macho Flair sounds great. It does. Could have wish it was here. Welcome to WCW, Mach. I hope it's not a um, Fifi on a pole match. Actually, take it back. That would love a Fifi on a pole match. <laughs> just makes me. That's angry. just that's just Ric Flair's date. <laughs> uh, She's riding that space mountain. Hell yeah! It makes me angry that Macho Man's first match in WCW, at least on a pay per view, was against two guys that he's been fighting for the last five years in a different company. And way to be fresh. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he's got Sting in there. You got to ease it in. You got to start the angle. <sighs> Tony and Bobby start talking the main event, and then we see Harlem Heat's on the hotline now. Hey. Tony starts going over the last few months, which led us to this match. And we see the brain tell Hogan to call Omaha or Hartford to make sure his insurance is up to date. You know, that's where all the insurance companies are. Yep. Shivani then sends us to a video package where we see highlights of Vader destroying people and the confrontation at the end of Starcade in the locker room. Along with Vader powerbombing Hulk. At Clash of the Champions 30. I know. It's like, Hogan took Powerbomb? Crazy. I wonder if that'll happen in this next match. <laughs> mean Gene then is in the back with Hogan and Jimmy Hart. And Hulk says, We know the power of Vader. But the thing is, this is the final test for the Hulkster. This is the test that separates the good men from the bad men. He will have to bury me six feet under Baltimore to steal the trust the love, and the devotion of all the Hulkamaniacs. Hogan then tells Jimmy to keep an eye on the nature boy who's sitting at ringside. I love that Hogan makes a... He's like, he's like you know, we'll see where the power lies. I'll do what I have to do, blah, blah, blah. And he, he makes a joke about playing possum. And he seriously says, brother, 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 <laughs> but I was like, what are you talking about playing possum? Hogan, get out of here with that shit. Oh, so we go to our seventh match Vader versus Hulk Hogan with Jimmy Hart for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Has Harley Race been not with Vader for a minute, or was he with Vader last time I saw him? So I literally wrote in my notes. You might be wondering where Harley Race oh, is. Oh, cool. Well, um, God, I asked. He unfortunately was in a car accident oh, I don't like about that. a month prior to the show, yeah. which caused him to have hip replacement surgery, and he would never step foot in a professional wrestling ring again. Oh, well. I mean, he was only probably one more back, flat back bump off of the top rope away from that major surgery anyway, but it's a bummer that... When anybody gets hurt, especially Harley Race, we all love Harley Race. But I've been crying about Harley Race taking bumps in the ring for at least the last years. four years of like, of like you know, in within the years of this show, yeah. like that we are covering. I'm just like, no, no more Harley bumps. He takes huge bumps, and the man can barely walk. But get better, get better, Harley. Michael Buffer then says those magic words, and we are ready to Vader time. The two men lock up with no one gaining an advantage. And Hogan starts firing away with right hands. Only for Vader to no-sell. No pain. More no-sold punches. Slaps and clotheslines by Hulk. And we see the fear in his eyes. But he does come back to work the arm of Vader. T 
taking him down into the one wrestling movie actually knows, the cross arm breaker. But Vader just stands up out of it and steps on Hogan's face. <laughs> I love that Bobby Heenan's like, this is, this is not Hogan. He's, tr- he's trying to wrestle. He's like, this isn't Hogan. Look at this guy. He's trying to wrestle. He actually did like, you know... A, a wrist lock flip over yeah. arm breaker yeah it's like he did a wrestling move that's, that's not the six of them that he knows Hulk is taken to a corner where Vader starts unloading with his stiff shots followed by an avalanche splash that causes Hogan to roll to the floor to regroup Vader falls out but Hulk reverses a whip to send Vader over the guardrail into Flair's seats but Vader just gets up and moves the railing before heading back into the ring we gotta tease that that flare involvement. Where Hogan starts chopping away, hitting mounted punches and a clothesline to take Vader down. A big boot and a clothesline from Hulk send Vader back to the floor. But once Vader returns, he continues to get pounded on until Hogan tries for a body slam, which fails, causing Vader to fall on top of him. I got scared at the big boot. I was like, really? Really? This quick, right? We can't do it now. You haven't even built it up enough. Avalanche splash, body slam, before Vader goes to the second rope to hit a Vader bomb. Climbs back to the top rope, but he misses the Vader salt as Hulk moves out of the way. Hogan drags Vader out to the floor to slam his head into a guardrail. Grabs a chair and smashes it across the face of the big man multiple times, right in front of the ref. Also, who's the heel? Vader hasn't done anything heel yet outside of... Be, uh, he's just been a wrestling opponent. Yep. Vader doesn't need a cheat. He's fucking Vader. He just needs to be mean. Grab a chair and start swinging, and I guess it's okay. Yeah. Well, because you got power bombed, Hogan. You've been needing to be power bombed well, for about a decade. You son of a bitch. Rope. That's what. It is. <laughs> yeah. Back into the ring, Vader ducks a clothesline and hits a choke slam, an elbow drop, before taking Hulk to the corner for more stiff shots and a vertical suplex. For a two count. I'm going to call them the not-so-stiff shots. Because I've seen what you've done before, Vader. But it's Hulk up time. No selling punches. Right hands. Big boot. Leg drop. For the pin. And no! Vader presses Hogan off. I kind of uh, shit my pants a little bit. I was like, what? (laughs) Avalanche splash by Vader that sends Hulk into the ref. Ref bump. Followed by hitting a power bomb on Hogan for the pin. But the ref is down. All of a sudden, Flair jumps out of the crowd and into the ring, making a count. But he's not a ref, so it doesn't count. <laughs> Rick, you may have booked it, but, uh, but it is what it is. The Nature Boy then wakes up the ref and then starts stomping on Hulk as he's leaving the ring followed by a splash for a near fall by Vader. Hogan immediately jumps up and starts laying it in with right hands, hits the big boot and a clothesline that sends Vader over the top rope. Flair then jumps back into the ring and starts attacking Hulk from behind. And the ref calls for the disqualification. Ding, ding, ding. Hogan then hits a big boot on the nature boy and starts choking him when Vader comes back into the ring to attack from behind. Flair and Vader are double-teaming Hulk, with the Nature Boy locking on the figure four. When Savage and Sting come running down to the ring with chairs in hand to clear the ring. As Flair and Vader are leaving, they high-five each other. 
as Hulk starts posing in the ring before Tony says his goodbyes as the credits roll. So I ask you gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of Super Bowl V? You want to go first or you want me to? I don't really have anything to say. Yeah, I'm going to say mine's mine's quick. It's basically... (laughs) The Um, nicest thing that happened was maybe Vader pushed Hulk off after a leg drop. Maybe. Maybe that's the nicest thing and it's still not enough. Mm -hmm. We got to see a spin a Rooney. <laughs> Wait, I'll save that for. There is not a match Roma shoot fest <laughs> on this show without an overbooked finish. Overbooked finish and way too long. And we know how much I hate overbooked finishes. Yeah. The final two matches do provide some excitement. Some. Some. Mm-hmm. Not enough for the people involved. Not enough. Mm-hmm. But. It's not enough to recommend the show at all. No, nope. So. Maybe just to see Paul Roma kick a small, a, a young man in the head. <laughs> True. If you if you'd like to see Paul Roma be a, be a piece of shit, get fired. I mean, that's maybe the it. most historically significant thing that happened. I will I will actually say that Hogan and Vader. It was actually a pretty good match until the very end. Yeah, it wasn't. It was better. It was. It. It was okay. It was. It wasn't. Com- I mean, it's good for a Hogan match. <sighs> exactly. Like, and he gave a little to Vader. Yeah. Which yeah. is nice, because Lord knows he probably didn't have to. I mean, yes and no. It was. It was an okay match, but at the same time, it was your basic Hogan format of. I mean. Yeah. Nothing much happening. Only he gets slapped around a little bit in this one, and then Hulk up. Hulk up, here comes the flare, ding, 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 DQ. It wasn't, he gave a little bit more for a Hogan match, but we didn't get a good Vader match. Yeah. No. Vader Vader versus Sting from like a year or two prior to this, like, was a banger. Yeah. And uh, We didn't get Hogan in Japan, that's for sure. No, we didn't. It's hard to, it's, this is, sometimes we get a show that's so bad that like, it's like fun to talk about. We just this one's don't, not even. We just there. don't want to even talk about it. There's not. There's the thing is. There's not a whole lot to say. Yeah. Like sometimes when stuff's bad, it's like funny, and this is just not even compellingly bad. It's just. It just is. It, is. it just is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it just exists. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right. Fuck you. I think it's time <laughs> we smart it up. So give me one good moment from this show. I'm not talking. There you go. <laughs> I mean, that's probably my favorite thing from the whole show is Macho Man proving his his genius, which is saying he's not going to cut a promo and still cutting a promo <laughs> by telling you that he's not going to do it. Yeah, and honestly, he is doing it, you and that's even, incredible. You didn't even need Sting for that promo either. No, it could have been. Yeah, Sting he, just rambled about stuff that nobody. Nobody really knows to this day what he was talking about. And it would have been better if it was like, okay, Macho Man, like, in a solo match, and it was just Sherry there standing, not saying a word, looking straight in the camera, while Macho Man paces back and forth and yells into the mic, I'm not talking, and then Sherry is the only one that actually doesn't talk. Now that's comedy. (laughs) I really liked Vader's promo. I didn't do it justice while I was saying talking about it no it was good but it was a really 
you know, because Vader, he's done promos before. He's always intense, but they're not always like they're they're really just like I'm gonna beat you that yeah. kind of thing. This is actually like it was kind of like a story telling promo, and I thought it was a really good promo. So yeah, it was uh, yeah, better than any Sting like, promo. Furthermore, and he actually did tell a story. It yeah. wasn't just him barking out words. Best moments for me, you got the Spinneroonie in there. Of course, Spinneroonie. Um, I really liked Sting's makeup. <laughs> it kind of, I don't know, his whole getup, it made me think of Muda. It was like a an inspiration or inspired by Muda with his white and red, yeah. almost like Japanese flag type on his face in a way. And then just, yeah. I liked the first match. I liked the spot where um, he caught Alex... In the gut on the, the sunset gut on, flip. Yeah, because yeah. it, it sounded fucking hard, and maybe it was. Maybe it was actually hard, and that's why it sounded that way, but it like sounded good, and it looked good. Because people try that spot, and it's hard to hard to pull off. Kind of, it's not as good, but I believe it was Matt, I think you would remember. Maybe a Adam Cole, and maybe like a Gargano or Ciampa. Is it when Ricochet did the flip in, and he... Catches him with the super kick. Yes, exactly. Which is a perfect moment. Yes. A perfect sound, a perfect moment. Looks incredible. This, of course, isn't uh, on that kind of technical level, but it's still a hard thing to pull off. Maybe this, like, even more so because it's not as flashy or pinpoint. So, you know, considering it's really of no consequence except for Paul Roma's career, yeah. I think that that spot was was really nice and well executed whether it was real or not how about most disappointing this show I say maybe the bunkhouse buck is still on the show even though we're done with him and Dustin and like that Paul Orndorff was here but didn't perform that might be the most disappointing Orndorff was actually he had a singles match on the on main Main event event. before and I still think I I kind of think I don't think he was supposed to come out during the first match, I don't. It felt weird. It it was never planned for him to come out for the first match, but when I think the people in the back realized what Roma was doing, they sent him out there basically yeah, as like to be like, "Hey, dude, we know, we see, like, you. yeah, go and get your boy under control." Yeah, you guys are supposed to win the gold next week, and uh, he just fucked it up for you, so you better go save the day. I mean, but I mean that's how I feel like that. <laughs> that I happened. yeah, in hindsight, that totally makes sense because Roma didn't. Like, Orndorff didn't even look like he wanted to be there. And Orndorff is very good at looking like he wants to be there. <laughs> like, whether he's healing it up or not. Um, but I would have loved to see him versus Dustin instead of Blacktop Bully. That would have been nice. Roma? Or no, no. Who? Orndorff. More Orndorff, Orndorff is go. always good. I've been high on Orndorff for a minute. I mean, I think this pretty much hurts Orndorff's career yeah. <laughs> as well. Which cause... is a shame, because he's been, like... I've been screaming from the rafters about him in these last uh, like year or so of WCW, and it's a shame to not use him because you get your Paula chant, and he can actually perform. And the guy's not a, doesn't seem like he's afraid to lose, and he's just a good good heel and a good hand. We're on disappointing, right? Yep. The butcher. That was, I mean, that was that, just silly. Like what if what agile headbutt. When I found out the story behind why they did this, it makes so much sense. I was just stuff. like, it it did make sense. I was just like, that is totally something that yeah. these guys would do. Also, like, like 
I'm I want to go hang out with yeah. my buddy. If again. they if they actually put screws in his head, like one of them was too long and is still lodged in his brain, the man is stupid. Yeah. But he goes from main eventing their last pay per view to being taken down by a he's basically mediocre. His, yeah, for his that, face being the MacGuffin of a bad feud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that's what it was. Um, and then the whole we can't seem to get rid of the uh, Dustin and stud stable feud to the point that they have to keep bringing in people that we don't. And the care stud about. stable isn't giving Dustin like. Like, this is better than Bunkhouse Buck, because, you know, Darso can wrestle, mm-hmm. but he's his character that he's doing is, like, you know, a big brawler guy. It's still better than a Bunkhouse Buck match, but it's not that much better. No. No. L- literally, the, the first five matches on this show, I mean, especially once you find out about the Roma right thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, it... They all could have taken place on WCW Saturday night. Yes. <laughs> Seriously. Like, I wish they would have ended up on Saturday night. <laughs> yeah. and... That tag match was not a pay-per-view tag match. Uh-uh. The hot tag was not hot. Wait, it talk- was lukewarm. Are we talking the tag title match or yeah. the Savage Ta- tag title match. tag match? Savage will always get a pop. We haven't. We also haven't seen him I mean, break this, in a while. This, he Savage, got pop in circumstances. Savage match, like, it was there to further the flair involvement with well, I mean, the crowd, people. the crowd also comes alive in the last two matches because there was nothing to live for mm-hmm. into that point, yeah. <laughs> which is a bummer because there's there's still potential. Well, let's move on to best performer, and I think it's Savage. Yeah. Just because we haven't seen him forever and he still looked crisp. He looked, yeah, super crisp. I mean, he's Savage. The thing about Randy Savage is he never stopped being Randy Savage. Mm-hmm. No, that's why. Like, it's yeah, it's always a shoot with Randy Savage, so you're he's he, you can't divorce the man from the character. I'm gonna give it to uh, I, I I'm gonna split it between Savage and uh, Bobby Heenan because <laughs> Bob, Bobby talks about actually, the way you felt. Actually, I thought about giving it to Tony just for having to deal with Bobby. <laughs> I was disappointed like, in Bobby, honestly. Dobby, Dobby, wow. Bobby, I haven't even had a drink. Bobby <laughs> yeah. felt... The show is a Or seemed a to feel drink. the way I felt as I watched this show. And, yeah, there wasn't enough alcohol. There wasn't enough need <laughs> to make it anywhere near enjoyable. So, thankfully, I got to look up... But sometimes I rely on Bobby... To be quick and funny. And here, he wasn't either. He wasn't being funny. He was literally giving you his real feelings mm-hmm. about stuff because but, he didn't realize what he was saying. And they also weren't that... He just wasn't that... Some people have a drink and they're funny. He had too many drinks. It wasn't funny anymore. And he lost his neck brace. It was the first time he took it off <laughs> in a while. It was easier, it was easier to throw stiff. back the cocktails. How about most surprising... I mean, there's a few things. The the Roma news I didn't know about. I mean, that's the most surprising for me. Um, I think the butcher thing is like the butcher he, we thing mentioned it a couple times. The, he was in the main event of the last pay per view of this it, company. It's surprising. And now but it's he like, is what else are we going to do? Seconding yeah. Kevin Sullivan in his lower mid card feud. F- lower mid card feud. This shouldn't even be a feud. It's oh well, no, it shouldn't be. But yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah. That we had a WCW show that did not 
have some random country singer singing the oh my gosh Shane you pulled it out <laughs> there was no national anthem on the show uh-uh. at all and that's why it sucked they don't believe in America anymore <laughs> that's right I mean yeah it's surprising <laughs> that I just remembered that Duggan was on the show I forgot about him I'm glad you could and now for a look back even further into the history of wrestling the dusty finish in Japan, Antonio Inoki had held the IWGP Heavyweight Championship for close to a year, but had to vacate the title when he fractured his foot. So New Japan Pro Wrestling would hold a championship match between the young Big Van Vader and the veteran Tatsumi Fujinami on May 8, 1988 in Tokyo. Fujinami would win the match to start his first title reign, but after a no contest, later in the month with Ricky Choshu. The title would once again be held up. Tatsumi and Choshu would face each other in Osaka on June 24, 1988, with Fujinami once again holding the title high at the end of the evening. Tatsumi Fujinami, born 1953 in Oita, Japan, would join the Japanese Wrestling Association at the age of 17 under Anoki's watchful eye. When Antonio left to form New Japan Pro Wrestling, Fujinami left with him and is considered one of the founding fathers of the promotion. While on excursion, Tatsumi would win the WWWF Junior Heavyweight Championship, bringing it back to Japan and establishing it as the premier junior title in the country. By 1981, Fujinami had bulked up to move to the heavyweight division and would continue to be successful with 1988 being his banner year, winning the IWGP Heavyweight Championship twice, but also multiple other titles in the U.S. For his accomplishments over the years, Tatsumi Fujinami had been inducted into the International Professional, WWE, Wrestling Observer Newsletter, and Professional Wrestling Hall of Fames. After holding the IWGP Heavyweight Championship for close to a year, he would relinquish the title once again so that he could participate in a tournament with the final at the first Tokyo Dome show in the history of the company. Next week, Return of the Funker. Get the funk hey. out. Or wait, no, bring the funk back. Yeah, yeah. I just that that song. <laughs> I can't even think of it. But the just Google Terry Funk album on oh, that YouTube. One. Terry, I just yeah, it's good. It's good and bad. So I wonder. Both. I wonder if someone's going to show back up. It's going to be Dory. There you go. <laughs> In all his bald ass glory. Yeah. Hosfunk. Flash is making his oh, debut. Nice. Uh, I didn't know that about the WWF Junior Heavyweight Championship and Fujinami. That's interesting. I did not. Either. I would like to go back and watch some prime Fujinami. Matches we've I've only ever kind of seen him later in his career, so that's that's neat. But you know I'm ready for the return of Dory Funk Jr. Senior. Aren't we Dory all? Dory Funk. Aren't we all? Music from this week's show is "Rocket" by Tom Blades and Hulk Hogan won our main event, so we play his theme song "American, American Made" by Jimmy Hart. If you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there, rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. As Michael says, five stars or no stars. That's right. 
If you have any questions, comments, concerns, recipes, you can email us at WrestlingHistoryX at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at WrestlingHistoX. That's Wrestling H-I-S-T-O-X. We'll talk to you next week. Laters.